Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. And the scripture says in Matthew 9, 35 through 36, Jesus is going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Stand with me, if you will, and let's pray together. I stand before you, not above you. We have heard the word of God, and we pray that we might hear the word of God and that it might change our hearts to be like Jesus' heart. Let's pray about that. Father, we need a change in us. It needs to happen here in this church. It needs to happen here in this heart of mine. And Father, I pray this morning, and what's already been said and sung here and prayed today, I pray, Lord, that that thought may be continued by me as I try to preach your word. And may it somehow be more than I am. May you take by your Holy Spirit and lay up on the hearts of people the truth that is there. That we might win our community to Christ. It's for his glory we pray and in his name, above all names, that we pray. Amen. Be seated. I tell you, I want to say a lot of things this morning, but I'll say I wish that worship choir was there to sing every Sunday. Because I tell you, Brother Greg, after they sang, if I'd have just stood up and said, I'll tell you folks, that's the message, that's what it is, that's where we're at today. Folks, let's be dismissed. And if you get a chance, just put your offering in as we leave and we'll go home and we'll start praying from that point on. Because everything I have to say this morning was summarized right there in that song and everything that's gone before and in that little video and everything that we've been planning to do and that we have been doing. Jesus, while he was on the mission that his father had him on, looked at his community and his crowd and he'd been to a lot of communities and he saw people that were lost, like lost sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them disquieted and dispirited they were confused and he asked a message that he's been asking on and on and he asked each one of us and that we have been asking you the pastor has been asking you and brother Greg and planning the service has been asking us for several months and all the devotions that we're having is asking us is to go out and to be a witness for him into the harvest for it is plentiful and of course the message is, if you don't go, the harvest rots in the field. Which harvest in the scripture has to do with the final things and the judgment of God. 
and it has to do with people being lost and spending an eternity in hell, and that's what happens if we don't go. Now that's not sweet and that's not melodic. And that doesn't pull at our heartstrings, but I'll tell you one thing it does, as the Word of God always does, God challenges us with that thing. That's what the gospel to every home is about. It might be a feeble effort. It might be an effort that all we're asking you to do is if you don't do anything else, go and give them a greeting and hang it on the doorknob. And if they don't answer, hang it on the doorknob anyway. And we pray and bless that God will do something with that, that the gospel will be presented and have a chance to be presented in that home. And I want to tell you, there's nothing that will help a dying church more than people individually in that church witnessing for Jesus Christ. Nothing will change a dying church more than membership in that church who are willing to bear a testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for them one-on-one -on -one with somebody else in the multitude that you see before you. But we won't do it. And thank God for those that have signed up to do it. I, I, I'm thankful for every one of them, but... You know, we sometimes dread it, and we do because we're afraid we'll meet resistance. Bob Harrington, a sometimes off again, on again evangelist in the Southern Baptist Convention, was encouraging to me when I was a young preacher, and Harrington was a pusher. Now, you think Brother Erty pushes, and you think Brother Erty can be confronted. I'm telling you, there was nobody like Bob Harrington. He'd get in your face and put his finger right on your chest and talk about that. Bob said he was in a revival one time. He took a deacon with him, and they were going to go out and visit. Said he got in one of these communities. Said there was high column kind of houses all around there. And he and the deacon went up and knocked on the door. The guy opened the door, and he said, hey, we're from Somebody Baptist Church in Mississippi, and we're here to tell you about Jesus. And the guy said, I'm not interested. Foul! He slammed the door. Bob Harrington knocked on the door again. The guy opened the door and he said, I told you I'm not interested. Foul! He slammed the door. The deacon was running down the walk. He said, deacon, come back, come back, come back. The deacon got back there and Bob, he began to pray. Oh God, he was loud as he could. Oh God, there's a lost man in this house. Lord, he'll die and go to hell if he doesn't accept you. We just want to witness to him. Lights began to turn off up and down the street. Bob said, the guy opened the door and said, get on in here, you fool. You're waking my neighbors up. Harrington said, I'll tell you what, he didn't get saved, but he sure knew he'd been visited. I'll tell you, a lot of us say, a lot of us say, I'll tell you what, I don't want to get in a situation like that. I don't either. And for that reason, I hope I'm on the team that Sister Pam and that uh, Judge Nance is on because I know he knows the Bible and contend for the faith. And I'll tell you what, if we get that in our life, slam that door. I'll tell you what I want to say. Mitchell, contend for the faith. Judge, Sister Pam, I want you to start praying because I'll meet you in the car. That'll be me. <laughs> Listen, I get it. We don't want to tell people about Jesus. We especially don't like to make cold calls. We don't necessarily want people knocking on our door of every religious faith. But I'll I tell you what, the reason is we're afraid that we will meet resistance. Then a lot of us are afraid we'll do the wrong thing. We'll just mess it up. One of the things Bob Harrington would say, had said, he said, listen, where are you going to run a lost man? To hell number two or hell number three? I mean, you know, how, how bad are you going to mess things up? But we're afraid we'll mess things up. A pastor friend of mine, one of the sweetest men I've known in the ministry, cared about people, cared about his people. He was 
wonderful guy down in Monroe County. It's been some years ago. But he was the most nervous driver I ever saw. He talked to you all the time. He, he loved you. He talked to you all the time. He talked to you looking back. I had a herring trip to an evangelism conference one time with him and four other preachers, uh, three other preachers in the car with him. And he looked back and talked to us and preached all the time he was going. He was a terrible driver. Terrible driver. If he saw something, he just drove to it. Didn't matter what was in his way or what the curb was there. You're supposed to drive there. He had a revival down in his church and a former beloved pastor came back to be the evangelist to help him in the revival. That was the word. This guy's going to come and help our pastor in the revival. They got in a car and went out to see a man that was lost. They knew he was lost. And they drove down a long lane to get to his house. The man was a coon hunter. He had his favorite dog, and that favorite dog come out of the house, came across the yard. My brother's driving down. To, he came off. He came down that bank, and as he came to a stop, this brother with the former pastor and the evangelist for that week was in the car with him. He ran over that dog. They heard him holler. A nervous driver, he wanted to know what was that. He said, I think, uh, the evangelist said to him, I think that you, 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 you hit that dog when he come down. I, and he said, oh, oh, he said, he put the brake on. He already had it on. He put it in reverse. He backed over the dog the second time. There's the man standing at the door. He's lost. They're going to go see him. He's, he backed over the dog the second time. And he said, no, listen. He said, you've got to quit. He said, when you backed, you backed over. He put it in forward and ran over the dog the third time. He got out. Talk about doing the wrong thing. He got out and he says to the man, he says, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, I'm so sorry. We, we've just come to talk to you, invite you to church and wanted you to come to the church. And he said, I'm sorry, I, 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 have we, have, I think we've killed your dog. And he said, you killed the dog the second time you ran over it. Listen, we don't want to do the wrong thing. And many times that stops us from actually going and doing anything at all to start with. We're afraid we might do the wrong thing. Here's the problem from this passage. Time is critical. The other day flying around, I saw a beautiful sight. I could see a guy over here, and a guy over here could have been a woman, driving a tractor and they were mowing hay. You drive over here somewhere else and somebody had a hay tether and they were going along, they were harvesting that hay. And I saw that in several fields that were there. It's a beautiful sight. Now, if you've ever harvested hay or know anything about it, when you get it down, there's a harvest there, and you've got to get that hay up off the ground. That has to be done. It is time critical. If you don't get it up off the ground, if it rains or you don't care for it while it's on the ground, you're going to have hay that is rotten and is no good. It's time critical. Jesus in this passage says there is a great harvest, but we don't have enough laborers. Talk to any businessman in Glasgow. Talk to several of them. And I've talked to uh, people who own businesses other places. And the most critical thing they have right now in terms of their business, most of them, is that they're having trouble getting people to work. And once they come to work, they won't stay. Laborers into the harvest. I sometimes wonder if we can understand God's problem a little longer. This generation that Jesus saw was distressed and dispirited, dying from the inside, literally. Well, look around you. Just look at the news in Glasgow this week. 
and you're taken back in Glasgow. You have to step back. And then you see in the context of all of what has gone on in people's tragic deaths as young people taking their own lives and you see murder and mayhem in Glasgow and you don't know, we don't know, but a thumbnail of it until you're those officers going out and trying to help people. You can read the paper and you don't know but a little bit of what is actually going on. And you understand how dispirited people are, how depressed they are, how longing for something better they are, not knowing where to find it, like sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering around. The harvest is there. The need is there. Jesus says the problem's not enough laborers. Well, here's a newsflash for you. Because we've got a few short years to win this generation. Because eternity looms just a few sunsets away. You understand that? There's some men in my life that have some years on them and don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I don't have a lifetime to be a witness to them. I may not live long myself. We don't know. But what a shame it would be to have the gospel and to be a harvester and have people who are in the field and God's judgment is imminent and we do nothing about it. The context of this passage is that Jesus was on a mission. We, we read it and it gets confusing when you get down there. He says, well, pray the Lord of the harvest. Beseech the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers into the harvest. You say, well, you see, that's the problem. It's God's fault. He's not trying to harvest. Jesus was standing right there as God in the flesh. And what was he doing? Going around to every town and community, talking to people personally. And he was doing what? He was healing the sick of every disease. He was casting out demons. And he was preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And that is that God has come among you. Jesus was doing the mission of God because he was God and he was doing what God has done from the beginning. With Adam and Eve, he was establishing relationship with them. They broke it. He was with Abraham in saying, I'm going to make those and your children, I'm going to make them as, as the stars of the heaven, Abraham, and that's you and I. God was on a mission with Abraham to establish a people that would be a witness to the world. And Moses, he was saying in Moses, I'm going to reveal my law to you. I'm going to reveal to you who I am. And I want you to live by that. And I want you to be a city set on a hill. And I want all the nations of the earth to come to you. God always has been on a mission. And then Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was on a mission. But we want to excuse ourselves. We say, I'll tell you what we need around here. We got to have the right pastor. <laughs> you all have believed that for how long? You've had the right pastors. Tell you something, Glasgow Baptist. I have seen you call men and I have said myself, that's the right man. We're going to see things change now. Didn't change. Why? 
It's not about the pastor. Some of the most thriving Baptist churches I've known had pastors that really didn't do much, and they told you I don't do much. I'm telling you, this church has such a spirit in it that they lead themselves. I have trouble keeping up with them. And it was true. Lebanon Baptist Church in Illinois, a small rural church, won more people to Christ almost than anybody in Glasgow. You had uh, in Mount Vernon, Illinois, you had a lot of people coming into some other churches, but they were just stealing them from other churches outside of uh, Mount Vernon. But that church was actually winning people to Jesus Christ. And let me tell you why. It wasn't everybody in that church, but they had a core, and you and I have talked about this already, we had a core of people, six, eight, ten people, that were on fire to God, and what they wanted to see was people won to Christ, and they didn't care to witness. Did they fail? Failed most of the time. But did they win? Sure, that little old church was baptizing 20 and 30 people. And when you went there for Sunday school, the first time I was ever there to preach a youth revival, we met under the stairway, and it wasn't an attractive stairway. We met under the stairway, all huddled together in a room about like this. They were meeting all over that place because they were making disciples and baptizing people. And it didn't matter what pastor came there. That pastor would tell you, I'll tell you what, there's not much I can do to lead these people there on fire for God to win people to Christ. And that went on for a whole generation in that church. But we won't excuse ourselves. We say, well, let's hire the right pastor. Let's hire the right staff members. Let's hire and make another staff member responsible for this or that. And then this is what will happen. We just need to hire people to do this job, to do our job. Doesn't work that way. It didn't work. It wasn't working that way then. Jesus wasn't in a place there was no religion. It's estimated that there were about 6,000 Pharisees in Jesus' day in Palestine. There were 20,000 lower priests. There was a much smaller but very powerful group of Sadducees. The sects of Judaism were present, as in the Essenes, and you'll see a lot of their beliefs in the Gospel of John. And there were robust synagogues in every town. Some towns, larger cities, there would be more than one synagogue. People were coming to them and they were teaching the word of God. And yet, when Jesus looked out among all of that religiosity, he saw, looking at his own people, at people who were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Our excuse is we haven't hired the right people. When the crowd, when the multitudes have an eternity in hell being separated from their creator who probably knew about him but had no relationship with him. We have the relationship and all God is asking us to do is to be whatever effective witness we can be to those who are around us to testify because he's commissioned us to do this. And the preacher is going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. In the next chapter in Matthew, he commissions commissions the 12 to go out. He gives them authority and power. And he gives them authority and power in preaching. He tells them, this is how I want you to do it. And they go out. And in another place in the Gospels, he sends out the 70. That's 35 teams. 
I'm glad we've got the teams we've got, but I'll tell you what, if he gets 35 and sends them out, that was more than the 12. We ought to have more than that at Glasgow Baptist Church to be able to go out and reach people and receive a blessing. If all you do is hang the thing on there, you say, well, I'm busy, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. You can do this anytime you want to. You can do it on the weekends, folks. We got all kinds of staff people and we got all kinds of preachers running around. Somebody said about Baptist preachers, somebody said this when I was young, I don't know who said it, that Baptist preachers are like manure. Spread over a large area, they do a lot of good, but you heap them up in a pile and all they do is raise a stink and create a lot of heat. And that's exactly what you see when preachers get together because why? Because they're preaching the gospel, but even preachers are not sharing the gospel with Jesus Christ. I'm sorry if that was too crude for you, but you'll remember that today at the, at the, at the table and you're going to say this one thing, the one thing that you're going to say. It is not Ernie's problem. It's not Greg's problem. It's not Laura's problem. And I'll tell you, she's one church secretary, I'm just going to tell you, that looks for opportunities to minister to people. Amen. And so do those two guys. If you can't get the job done with 6,000 priests and a whole host of Sadducees and a corner in a church on every block in Glasgow, then something is basically fundamentally wrong. And it's not with the number of people that believe they're called to preach the gospel and do the gospel and minister to the church. Try to get somebody else to do the job that God wants us to do. Well, you say, you know, I witness when I'm, when I'm led. I've never known a real soul winner that only witnessed when he was led. You say, no, I just don't want to do it. And people get mad at you. If you try to tell them, listen, if they're lost, you need to talk to them. You need to pray about them. No, I just, I just go when I'm led. How much, how much are you led? Well, you find out not very much. There are 78 people per square mile in Barron County. Now, people don't live in the lake. Obviously, there's more than that per square mile in Glasgow. But let's just say that God said, I want you in your lifetime to witness personally to 78 people. I'm going to give you a square mile. That's your mission field. Do you know what would happen in terms of how most of us witness to people? If God gave us three lifetimes, we wouldn't witness to 78 people in our lifetime. That's the truth. Moreover, in three lifetimes, those 78 people would be dead. We'd be behind whatever that is times two. And part of that group, we're not going to have time to witness to because they're already in the nursing home and they're dying or they've already lost their mind in some way. We are ineffective in terms of our witnessing, doing the very thing that God has called us to do. But here's the perspective. The perspective is there in verse 36. We got the problem is we don't go. The perspective is we don't have the right perspective because if we have the right perspective, we'd be doing something. Seeing the people, he felt compassion. How has God looked at you and I with compassion? The church in America is declining. Baptisms are decreasing. The influence on society, despite our focus on the cultural war in the last 40 years is less and less. Why is the Lord so moved with compassion? Because he knew they were lost. Because our Lord had left heaven's glory. And he was here among us now and he saw and felt humanly what we see and feel. 
He said, God can do all things, but I tell you what, when he comes in the flesh, it's just like the writer of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest. We don't have a Jesus who is not untouched in his own body by our own sin, not just on the cross. It is there as he stood and looked at it. And I'll tell you what, make this brief. I'll tell you what, he felt what it was to be lost. He felt what that was on the cross to be apart from God and to be forsaken by God. He looked at the crowd and had compassion. We have forgotten who we are and the price that Jesus paid for us. Because if we look at them with the same sense we look at our own salvation if we have any, we have to understand that we have to care about that. And I want to tell you right now that what we care about, we do something about. Full stop. And what's the solution? Interesting solution. We hit it right in that song this morning. Pray the Lord of the harvest. You say, well, see, now that, that's the problem. See, God wasn't sending people. No, God was willing to send. You pray the Lord of the harvest because it changes you. Somebody described prayer as you're out here in a boat, and prayer is the line you cast to the shore to God. And then you start praying, pulling on that line, and you say to yourself, oh, God's getting closer. God's getting closer. God's getting closer. No, you're getting closer to God. When you start really praying, and every great revival has begun with a season of prayer. When you start praying about being what God wants you to be, He changes your heart and puts a burden on your heart to people who are lost. That's the way it works. And you can't cover that up with busyness in the church. You all do a lot of things in the church. We keep the things going here. But I'll tell you what, there's something about the fact that we don't do the one thing that is absolutely necessary, and that is we don't bear witness to people about Jesus Christ. Start where you're at, do what you can, but I guarantee you, if you pray, God will speak to you. You say, oh, this whole thing's ineffective, it's silly, going around just hanging something on the door to somebody. I'll tell you, God will use you where you're at, and he'll use you with what you're willing to do. 20 years ago or more, Brother Greg and I talked about this. He remembers this thing that I'm going to tell you. It's not the first time we as Kentucky Baptists have done this. This was done in Lexington some time ago. Same results. We found people who were saved. A lady in Lexington had gotten bitter at God and bitter with people. It was pathological. And she was bitter because her daughter's boyfriend had abused her daughter and killed her grandchild who she loved. She hated him. She was mad at her daughter. She was mad at God for ever letting it happen. She was mad somebody who'd prayed a little took a bag, I don't know in her testimony, I don't remember if she answered the door and they said anything about coming and we would love to have you, I don't know about that, but they put the door, the thing on the door, she got it from the door, and that night when she got it, in her despair, she opened it up, she went through it, they had a DVD in there, could have been a VHS videotape at that time, I'm not sure what it was, but in that was the story of Jesus, not sure if it's the same one we're using, but in that was the story of Jesus, she popped it in, she watched it, and at the end of it, it said, 
If you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and God has touched you, would you pray this prayer to ask him into your heart? Thought to herself, why would I do that? But then she said, can't hurt. And she did. Now I heard somebody on Facebook, some wiseacre preacher, a good guy. I believe a lot of what he believes. He said he got it off the door and he read it and how good it was, but oh, how sad it was that, you know, the repentance was not mentioned and everything else. I'm telling you what, people are going to hell while we got churches on every corner here and every one of them argues about how you need to find Jesus, but none of them are baptized in this town. So he criticized because I like repentance, I like it. That woman didn't repent. She just said, maybe this will do me some good. If they say, do that, I'll do it. She knew she was miserable. She prayed the prayer. Nothing happened. She went to bed and was, was her custom. She had a drink on the table. She drank that before she went to bed or drank part of it. She saved a little for the next morning. She went to sleep. Nothing had happened. I woke up the next morning and I did what I'd always done every morning. I reached for that drink to get enough courage, to get enough whatever, to get up out of the bed. And as she reached for that, she heard a voice say, you don't need that. You don't need that. It was so real. She looked around and thought, somebody's got in my house. That's what she thought. Somebody's got in my house. She didn't see anybody. Disturbed her enough, she did not take the drink, but more about being disturbed than anything else. She went to the kitchen and was her custom. She went to the refrigerator to get her first cold one of the day, of many. She went to reach for that cold one to sit down and try to get some breakfast to get the day going, which she wasn't doing much in that day. And as she reached for that, she heard a voice distinctly say to her, I told you, you don't need that. Now, she said, then my husband is in this house. He's pulling a trick on me. She went and looked for her husband in the house because he was supposed to go to work. And as far as she knew, that's what he did. She found nobody in the house. She sat down at the table and she said to herself, Maybe something happened. Maybe something happened. Well, sure enough did. She stood there before either the Kentucky Baptist Convention or Evangelism Conference. I won't sure what it was. I know I wrote notes on it. I can't find them. I tried to go to the Kentucky Baptist site and find who she was. I can't find that far back. Greg said, I, I, I can remember that kind of testimony. Don't remember when, don't remember where, but it's our age. And, and uh, I, you know, don't really just know what happened. She stood before that august body of preachers and priests and said, I've come to love that young man that killed my grandchild and abused my daughter. And I went to that church that brought that little packet and hung that on my door, and I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to argue about being baptized. I'm not going to argue about repentance in the old-fashioned way. I'm going to say, look, the blind see, and those that are bound are loosed, and they're loosed by the power of God, by somebody just praying and signing up and saying, I'll go and I'll put that on that door, and if they open that door and say, I'm not interested, foul, then I'll send a preacher. <laughs> 
I'll do something, but I, I, I may say to them, well, wait a minute, I just want to tell you about the time I got saved. It's made a difference in me. Here we are. Look at that. Throw it away. Do whatever you want to. I'm just saying we love you, and I love you, and I'll tell you what, when you turn and walk down that walk, I'm telling you, you'll know the Spirit of God was with you. And that is what God saved you for. I got a lot of talents to use for the Lord. Personal witnessing is not one of them. And God didn't save me because I was talented to do some things for Him. He saved me that I might be a witness for Him. Not a Bob Harrington style witness. No. But a witness. Now what's God asking you to do today? Fortunately, I talk too much. I'm over time on EPB. I wish everybody in Glasgow could have heard that story, but they've heard enough. What's God saying to you? When you pray, I'm not saying you're a test of your Christianity as to whether you, whether you do this and participate in this or not. Some of you, frankly, you're beyond exhaustion. You've got to sleep sometime. But I am saying to you, probably if you want to participate, it's a golden opportunity. You can do one a day or one a weekend or one a Saturday till you get your group done. There's no reason anybody can't. I got it. This is not a test. Unless the Holy Spirit's made it one for you. And then you need to pray. Maybe you're here today. You say, I'll tell you what, preacher. I'm kind of like that woman. I'm in terrible shape. Nobody here knows it. But you know, I don't really know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to come to Him. Well, how are you going to come? I think the conversation is going to go something like this, but God tends to talk to you in that situation. Lord, I'll tell you what, I'm away from you, I'm apart from you, and I've done plenty to show you that. I'm sorry. I repent of that. Would you forgive me? I turn from it. I want to turn to you, and I don't even have strength to do that, but I want to turn to you. I'm asking you to be my Savior and my Lord. I'm scared to death of your Holy Spirit, but if your presence would come into me to make me more than what I am and to make me your child, then I'm willing to receive it. Save me, Lord, please. Nothing magic about that. You don't have to pray that prayer. You know what to do if God's speaking to you. And then what we do in this time is ask you to make that public. Profess it before people. Follow him in baptism. That's a New Testament way to make it public. Follow him in baptism and say, I've been buried with him in baptism and I've been raised to walk in the newness of life. Brother Greg, come and lead us as we sing. Brother Ernie's going to stand here. I'm going to stand here. You come. Maybe you just need to pray. Maybe you need to pray for somebody, whatever God is speaking to you about this morning. Let's stand and sing.